but also they're looking for that next step as well. And I always try to tell them that at the end of the day, it's one thing to say you want growth, but what type of growth are you looking for? Are you able to define your next step? And most of the time, people are not able to do that just yet, right? They want the growth, they want the higher comp, but they haven't put a lot of thought into why, you know? And so again, I think mentorship is really about helping others find and define their why. Reputation is everything. We've all heard it and we all believe it. Be it building and monitoring your online reputation or measuring your resident satisfaction in real time, we all know how important that is. The truth is we spend too much time asking for reviews, responding to reviews, surveying our residents and analyzing those surveys. This is all important, but there needs to be an easier way to manage it all. And in student housing, sometimes there just needs to be an automatic way of managing it, like during turn or for move-in day. Well, there is one platform out there that does just that. It's called Opinion. Opinion integrates with your property management software to automatically ask residents for reviews so you can get real-time feedback. It also works to generate more positive online reviews and ratings completely in the background without you ever having to push out an email or a text message. You can build surveys that are automatically sent out based on certain events within a tenant's lease cycle or an ad hoc community-wide survey. And it's working behind the scenes to analyze all of that feedback and present it to you in a way that you can quickly understand your property's resident satisfaction level and get insight into your team's performance. Listen, there are a lot of platforms and applications that can help you monitor and respond to your online reputation. Some will even help you generate more reviews, but Opinion allows you to do it hands-free and brings you the feedback you need in order to take meaningful action. So let Opinion do the heavy lifting and give your team more time to focus on your tenants. For more information, click on the link in the show notes or go to Opinion, which is spelled with three I's, O-P-I-N-I-I-O-N.com forward slash S-H-I. Again, that's Opinion.com forward slash S-H-I. Go there today and get a special promotion for our audience members. Welcome to the Student Housing Insight Podcast, where we are putting you in touch with the people who bring student housing to life. I'm your host, Wesley Dees. And guys, I am excited about this episode. It's another episode for our Profiles in Student Housing series. The guy that I'm going to introduce you to today, I've worked with him in the past, and I've just been overly impressed since day one. Mark my word, this guy will end up being a major part of shaping the student housing industry over the next 20 years. His name is Sly Brandon, and he's Vice President of Operations at Cardinal Group, and I can't wait for you to hear his story. He's also written a book, for those that didn't know, and it will be coming out in December, so we talk a little bit about that in the interview as well. You know, he's one of the few student housing executives that actually started out on the maintenance side of on-site operations. And let me just tell you, you don't see many people who 
choose to go that route. But those that do, they are incredible and they really tend to be fantastic leaders as well. And I can certainly say that about Sloth, that's for sure. So two things I want to share with you before we get to that interview. First, LeaseCon TurnCon. It's coming up quick. If you don't know what I'm talking about, LeaseCon TurnCon is a conference that folks at Student Housing Business Magazine started about four years ago to really focus on, you got it, student housing leasing and turn. (laughs) So that's pretty obvious by the title. Listen, I I love, love, love this conference. And, And here's the reason why. It's all based on site operations. This is not a conference with all the investment groups and brokers and biz dev folks. Don't get me wrong. I enjoy going to those conferences, but coming up in this industry, I needed a conference like this. This industry needs this conference. At this conference, we really get in the weeds as to, you know, what's impacting operations and and from site level to C-suite. If you are in operations, you need to be at this conference. It's December 6th and 7th in Charlotte, uh, Charlotte, North Carolina, for those that don't know. It's only a day and a half. It's uh, evening on the 6th, and then we've got a whole day of panels and everything on the 7th. So we'll provide a link in the show notes, and you can also just Google LeaseCon22, and I guarantee you it will come up. All right. The second thing I want to share is about our mobile app, SHI Connect. We launched this last April alongside the Shop Talk webinar that I've talked to you guys a lot about. We built this to provide a platform, and I would say actually a hub, specifically for student housing professionals where we can share ideas and data and resources, and honestly, just a place where we can simply network with one another. Yeah, I, I know there's LinkedIn and there's some really great Facebook groups out there, but those platforms have limitations. And, and let's face it, specifically with LinkedIn, and I love LinkedIn, it's not the place we're going to go and admit that we've got problems that we're trying to solve, right? And so SHI Connect is that place. So if you haven't downloaded SHI Connect, you can find it in your app store or in Google Play. Please take a look at it and let me know your thoughts. You can actually directly DM me within the app. All right, let's get to my interview with Slaw Brandon of Cardinal Group. Slaw, welcome to the Student Housing Insight Podcast. How are you doing? Doing well. How about yourself? Doing good, doing good. This isn't the first time that you've been on here, but this is the first time we're, we're talking completely about you. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm excited about it. And um, full transparency to our audience. I've done some asset management here in the past few years with a client that we had Cardinal as the management group and our paths crossed and it's been, uh, been fantastic getting to know you and and kind of see just your growth in the past two, three years at at Cardinal. It's been fantastic to watch. So I'm excited for our audience to hear your journey because you're one of those few guys that actually started out on the maintenance side and now they've made that transition. And and that's not completely unnormal for Cardinal because a guy that I know very well and worked with early in my career, Eli Roth, is Kind of the same thing. He went from uh, went from the maintenance side to to the operations or the 
operations executive side, I guess is the best way of putting it. And uh, yeah, it's been, it's, I think you guys make some of the best property management professionals because you've seen it all. I would agree with that. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, to kind of start off a little bit, my name is Sylvester Brandon. Everybody calls me Sly. Uh, I was born and raised in uh, St. Louis and um, got my start in student housing actually on campus. And so my first year as a freshman, I wanted to get involved. And so I got involved with housing and I was one of those guys that worked the overnight shift at one of the uh, on-campus purpose-built student housing assets that was actually on campus. And so I did that for a little bit and uh, there was an opening for a part-time maintenance team member. And I was kind of excited about that. As a kid, I was always the guy that always wanted to like tinker with things and fix things. And so I saw this as an opportunity to make a little bit extra money, uh, but also have a regular schedule, but then to learn stuff as well. And so uh, my first job in student housing was actually a night clerk, but then uh, it evolved to a maintenance tech on property at the university. So I did that for a while and eventually graduated with a bachelor's. And at that point, I was not sure if I wanted to go out into the workforce or do something else. And so like, what do you do when you don't know what you want to do? You go back to school. (laughs) So I actually went back and I got my master's in higher education. And through that process, um, I, I acquired my first job in leasing and then acquired my first job as a community manager. And this was back in 2006. Uh, back then, I worked for a company called Campus Crest. It was one of the, the first private purpose-built student housing firms. And so back then, we operated completely differently. You know, I, I tell a lot of my team members this as well. Uh, we signed leases by hand and <laughs> we would send them via fax, uh, via mail. And so we would have to process. Oh, you're leases. really making me feel hard. <laughs> <laughs> we would have to process leases by hand. Uh, that was just kind of part of the process. And so, I mean, back then, anything went back then. Um, it was all about heads and beds. And so my experience for maintenance kind of allowed me to operate more seamlessly in the office because I knew, you know, what the challenges would be for most of a residents and how to solve those pretty quickly. And so I really made a career um, out of being a jack of all trades, someone that understood maintenance, someone that had a, a passion for leasing, but someone that really wanted to have a career in management. And so I spent some time at Campus Crest and eventually um, Campus Crest sold to HSRE and I elected to take another job. And this job was um, VP of operations uh, for a company called Vallejo out of uh, the UK. And so I spent a lot of time in London. I spent a lot of time in Ireland. I spent a lot of time in the Middle East traveling and working with very high net worth clients and investors to really kind of build a whole portfolio, not only in the UK, but throughout Europe. And around that time, it was about maybe 2016, Brexit happened. And you'll probably have to look that up. Not you, Wes, but other folks that could be listening. And so Brexit 
happened in in the UK and in Europe, they don't have a supply and a demand problem. They purely have a supply problem. And so around 2005 to 2007, most of the university lifted their enrollment caps. And so most of these unis were five to six thousand students. So when they lifted the caps, what happened is a lot of these students from the EU would travel all around Europe, but most would land in the UK and go to the university. And so these universities grew exponentially overnight, some by double. And so what was happening is these students were like living in family neighborhoods. And so the UK, you know, wanted to expand purpose-built student housing to most of the smaller markets to accommodate for the growth in enrollment. And so when uh, Brexit happened, most of those students that were from the EU, they were essentially threatened with having to actually apply for student visa and not being able to just travel through the EU since the UK was not going to be a part of the system anymore. And therefore, the whole pipeline of student housing development kind of flatlined. And so that same company, you know, they were like, hey, look, we want to do the same thing in the US. Would you be interested in going back to the US and helping us start a platform there? So I went back to the U.S. and I was essentially uh, VP of development administration and operations. And so I would go out and I would analyze new uh, markets and I would present that data to a investment board to see if they would want to develop in those markets. So I did a lot of market studies Um, and I did that for about a year. And I just happened to run into Alex and Dale at a conference in Vegas. Uh, and at that conference, they were like, hey, I heard that you were a student housing guy that lives in Denver. And they were like, you know, we don't really know that many student housing people that live in Denver. We would love to have a conversation. And so one thing led to another. And I, I ended up joining Cardinal in 2017 as a portfolio manager. And a portfolio manager at Cardinal is essentially similar to a regional. And so you are in charge of client relations and you're in charge of optimizing the property and creating value for the client. And so I did that for a couple of years and I was promoted to director of operations maybe two years post that. I did that for a year. And then my third promo came in 2020 in the midst of COVID. I was promoted to VP of operations and I've been the VP of operations for Cardinal for the last two years. So let's unpack that a little bit, Sly, because yeah, I said it when we got started, you've had a very interesting journey with your student housing career. So let me kind of go back to the beginning, going off to college in Missouri, right? Missouri, that's correct. Yeah. And so what was your undergraduate in? Um, communication and public relations, actually. Gotcha. Gotcha. Now, is that what is that something you were you just chose or were you planning to do something with it? Um, actually, I began as a engineering major and through the <laughs> third math class. I decided that I didn't want to be a <laughs> engineering major anymore. So I switched to communication because at that point I really didn't know what I wanted to do. But, you know, I heard that if you did communication in public relations, you know, every company has a need for folks that, you know, are experts in communicating and kind of 
managing the narrative with the public. So I thought that would be a good route for me to go down. So we, you get to that point, you end up going and getting your master's in, in higher ed. You know, know a lot of folks that that's kind of how they ended up falling into this business as well. I know that that has provided, if nothing else, just, you know, when you go to talk to universities, like those guys have got the same degree. They may have their PhD in it, but, you know, I think there's a lot of respect that they have just for you, just because if they've looked you up on LinkedIn or, you know, it comes up in conversation, I've seen those administrators and how they kind of light up when they hear that, you know, someone has that, has that degree that they're dealing with in the, in the private sector. So the UK, I've got some experience, nowhere near as extensive as yours. Um, I was there for a week, <laughs> just in London. Um, there was a, a group that was doing some, they were expanded into the US. They wanted to bring me on as basically a, a consultant to help them launch their brand in the US. And they weren't on the housing side. They were actually on the, on the agent channel side, um, which is also very unique about Europe and, and and how they lease. And I'd love to talk a little bit about that, but everything in, so, so this company ended up sending me there. We like produced this video on this company and, and how they operated in the UK. It was quite an experience and the thing that now I was only in London, so I don't know where else in the UK you went to, but at least in London, what was so surprising to me is that you've got most of the buildings are 150, 250 beds max for the most part. And there's no staff on site. Like you may have like a den mother type person and you know, the maintenance is centralized. You know, they're, they're probably serving four or five other buildings in the, in the neighborhood. Leasing is all happening in either online in an office or, you know, like I said, you've got these other, we call them internet listing services here in the U S but they're, they're considered agents um, and their, their pay structure compensation structure is different because you're actually paying them a commission versus, you know, a monthly fee. Was it like that throughout the rest of the UK or, or how did that? It was very similar. So what I experienced is you would have essentially a maintenance team lead and you would have one or two housekeepers And then you'd have a community manager and that was it. And so most of the leasing happened online, but this is the craziest thing, Wes. As soon as they released the leases, most of these assets would sell out in the matter of 24 hours. And so they would do all of their leasing in 24 hours. And so the manager and the maintenance team lead, they would focus on customer service because they didn't really have to focus on leasing. And so they spent most of their time aligning what the plan was to serve the resident. Uh, And then B, they wanted to make sure that they had the proper uh, preventative maintenance plans in place. And so even though they only had one, you know, maintenance person for 150 to 300 beds, that one maintenance individual was able able to manage everything because they just planned ahead. And because the quality of and I want to be mindful here, uh, the quality of the developments that they would build it's, it's a different standard in the UK. 
And so they didn't have as many work orders as you see in the U.S. And then also the residents that would live off campus, they were more mature uh, in terms of how they treated their home. It was their their home. So you didn't see knockdown exit signs. The hallways were clean. I mean, it was like a completely different world, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's so interesting. If, you know, for our audience members, don't feel like you've got, and of course our audience is international. We have folks that listen to us in Australia and certainly in the UK. Don't look at your home country as kind of being the last stop that, um, or the only place that student housing can take you because, I've seen a lot of folks that have ended up coming from the U.S., going to Australia and into Europe. And it's something that can take you anywhere you want to go if you're willing to kind of make some sacrifices. Because I'm sure with family and everything else, like going to London for how many how many years in the U.K.? It was about a year, just one year. About so year. Gotcha. it definitely was difficult on the family, but it was a opportunity of a lifetime. Um, there are certain things that I've learned through that experience that I've been able to apply through every year that I've been in student housing post that. So um, it wasn't just a experience of traveling and seeing the world and and understanding how different countries operate, but it was also this educational piece of, of how can I take kind of some of those things that they do differently and well, you know, in the UK or Spain and bring those things kind of back to the U.S., yeah, yeah. You know, and I've got some familiarity, obviously, with Campus Crest because, mm-hmm. you know, I live in Charlotte and they were based here. And uh, of course, with Vallejo, it was Ted Rollins mm-hmm. going to Europe. And I don't know if he w- was original partner with those guys or partnered with those guys later. But yeah, then him bringing that brand here to the U.S. And of course, Kevin Seeley, I'm sure you probably worked pretty closely with. Yeah. It, it was fantastic kind of seeing what they were moving forward with in the U.S. And we had a lot of, Kevin and I had a lot of conversations about what it is that, you know, they were kind of learning from from Europe that they put in practice here. So those have been some great conversations. And, uh, you yeah, know, super, super sad last summer to hear that Ted had passed away. But um, what a legacy he has left behind with so many folks that are, you know, the, the old campus crest crew that <laughs> has uh, is still in is still in the business. I think, you know, I know Sean Devon uh, is somebody you work pretty closely with. He kind of came up through campus crest as well, and it's been uh, it's been amazing to see everybody from that from that company grow within the industry. Well, I think it's probably you know as we're talking about learning things from other countries and, and that type of thing, it kind of parlays pretty well into the next question I had for you, which is what are you seeing as some of the biggest challenges that are facing student housing industry in the years to come, you know, short term, maybe sure. long term as well? Yeah. I mean, I think there's three basic that I think about. The first one is market oversaturation. Will enrollment continue to outpace student developments? I guess we'll see. Either way, what normally happens is new supply typically pushes older assets to compete for their pipeline, you know? And so if you are a vintage of 2015 by 2024, you may be 
bottom of the market, you know, and so to compete for that pipeline, you're going to have to be creative in, in how you're going to overcome that and how will you market yourself to be different from the rest of those assets and some of those newer developments. And so I think that's definitely coming. Number two, I think post-COVID rate inflation has been fruitful for a lot of us. Uh, but I think that's going to cool off at some point. Um, I've traveled to several markets uh, the last six months, and it's great because I'm able to tour most of our comps in these markets. And one thing that I've learned is student housing still operates extremely lean. A lot of these assets are postponing asset improvements or deferred maintenance. Uh, yeah. I think we're going to get to a point whereas with the new generation of students and residents, you're going to have to be able to back up why your asset uh, is going to increase the rates by seven bips or, or whatever that number is. Right? You're going to have to really prove that that value is there. I mean, if you really look at the demographic uh, that we're dealing with now, it's rapidly changing on a monthly basis. Uh, their needs are completely different from the needs of those residents a year ago. And then five years ago, it's a completely different market uh, space, right? And so the type of residents that are gonna be living in these communities, they're gonna look at value for their money. You know, in some of those communities that are able to uh, kind of manage driving quality at their asset, while also kind of creating a residential experience, I think they are going to be positioned well to kind of weather whatever storm, you know, post-COVID rate inflation cooling is going to bring. Yeah. Thirdly, I think it's evolution of the new workforce. Many of our Gen Zs, they just look at earning a living completely differently and are more socially conscious regarding what and how they invest and choose their time. Uh, more importantly, we're in a influencer revolution right now where yeah. students can go out and earn a living through being an influencer on social media. And so it's going to redefine what it really means to have a part time job. It's going to redefine what it means to earn a living post college. Most of these students you know, typically you're looking to get into the workforce. Uh, I think Gen Z's will also be looking to get into the workforce, but in terms of a nine to five versus something that they have freedom of their time, I think that's going to be the biggest difference that we're going to see. Yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting going back to, you know, your second point, it just kind of clicked with me when you said that, and we're talking about affordability within student housing. And, you know, we just had a, a shop talk earlier that, one of the things we've been talking about is how much the enrollment, particularly at the, at the flagship universities. I mean, because truth be told, between fall 2019 and fall 21, higher ed had an 8% decrease in enrollment. Now, all of that has, you know, trying to tell somebody at University of Tennessee in Knoxville that, you know, they're, they're like, what planet are you on? But, you know, that's the ones that have taken it on the chin are the community colleges and tier two, tier three schools with that enrollment drop. And some of this was already going to, it was already coming with, there's a population decline happening here with Gen Z, especially in 2025, there's going to be a pretty big uh, decrease. And then you've got, and of course the opposites happen in the UK. They're on a, you know, to your point or earlier, they've got a real supply issue because that demographic is actually on the rise. But, uh, but what's happening 
is these tier one universities are expanding their in-state enrollments yep. to compensate and COVID just put that on, on steroids because, mm-hmm. because of international students not being able to come to the States and that type of thing. Yep. But what, what you said was really, like I said, it just kind of clicked with me is most of who they're now accepting or a lot of these flagships are accepting three, four years ago, couldn't get into those flagship either because of, you know, location or, you know, let's, let's put high school grades next to, mm-hmm. you know, socioeconomic status. I mean, there's obviously a correlation there. And so now you've got what I would say are folks that normally couldn't afford to be in that directly next to campus, a plus plus property. And they're really just kind of being priced out because in those same flagships, we've got so much enrollment growth that's happening. And again, because of the pandemic, we haven't been able to build a lot in those markets. And, um, you know, over the next three or four years, those markets are going to be, it's going to be tough to find affordable housing, I fear. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, is it affordable? Uh, but doesn't meet my needs. I think students will still be willing to pay whatever price point, but it's going to be based off of value. You know, if I'm a scholarship student and I only have so much dollars, I'm going to pick a place that meets my budgeting needs, but also meets my lifestyle needs as well. And so if I pick a property that has a bad rep for not taking care of their residents and or they have multiple issues that go unaddressed in a unit. Uh, I think those types of properties are going to have a really tough time. And so I I think you're right. I think a lot of those students are going to be forced to figure out, like, where do I live? If I'm priced out of the tier one properties in the market, then am I going to look at a tier two? And I think the answer is yes. But I think within those tier twos, they're going to be looking at the property that has the best rep and also the property that has a history of caring not only for the property, but also for its residents. So, and I think the last point, Wes, is the biggest one for me. I mean, because we all know that most student housing communities are operated at least by 18 to 25 year olds, right? Yeah. So this evolution is gonna have to force operators to recruit differently. It's gonna have to focus on how we're, we're able to retain our employees at a higher rate. Right. And so the evolution of what we know student housing is now, my best guess in three to four years is going to look completely different from uh, a management standpoint, but also from a residential standpoint as well. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm looking forward to discussing that at, um, at LeaseCon this December. Yeah. This podcast will come out before LeaseCon because that, that is something that's kind of on the agenda to discuss is, you know, what's happening with this workforce. I mean, we already know that there's, especially in the, in the full-time positions, it's, well, I'd say all the way across. I'm sure you probably agree with that too. It's just, it's hard to recruit. And yeah. over the past 18 months, I've seen some pretty inventive ways, I guess, <laughs> is the way to describe it of trying to centralize, trying to consolidate. You know, fortunately, I think the, the students, our customers, you know, have, have kind of lowered their expectations a little bit when it comes to 
not the quality of service by no stretch of the imagination, but as far as, you know, you go to a restaurant and you may be waiting a little bit longer than you did three years ago because they're short two people, you know? Yep. And I think that's, that's kind of carried over to everywhere else they do business. And we're certainly not exempt from that. Yep. Well, hey, I've got my next question that I want to ask, you know, our audience is made up of mostly on-site managers and a lot of them are in the, you know, that three to maybe, maybe as far as eight years into the, their career. And they're saying, okay, is this something that, you know, I want to do uh, for a longer career than what I've already done it? And, you know, do I want to, you know, do I see myself eventually going offsite, you know, into some other kind of role? Just wondering what kind of advice you've sure. got for, for those folks. Yeah, I would say first thing is identify what direction uh, you would like to go in the industry. There's multitudes of different disciplines within student housing. Secondly, I would try to reach out to some of those individuals that are already in the jobs that you want and begin a relationship. Uh, start to ask questions so you can start to prepare yourself for what skills you will need to acquire prior to getting into that type of role. Thirdly, I would say set aside time on a weekly basis to educate yourself on the industry and also learn whatever new skill set that you really need. That last one is, is super important. I think being able to sacrifice you know, time for educating yourself is underrated. And so being able to really say, hey, I want to be a developer. My job is a CM now. Therefore, I'm going to reach out to XYZ. I'm going to get a really good understanding of what I need to enter this discipline and what I need to be successful and what type of skills I'm going to have to have to operate at a high level. And then start kind of seeking those out and spending that extra time to educate yourself. So once you know, you're able to really kind of get into a spot, whereas you have a opportunity, you know, you're putting yourself in a position where chances of you getting selected is going to be on a higher level. Not only are you a operator, but also you've taken the time to really learn the ins and outs of this particular discipline. Lastly, I think this is the most important thing. If you are ACM or whatever job you're in now, be your very best. Learn as much as you possibly can learn in your role. Be your very best. And if you can do that and also kind of follow those, those steps, uh, you'll get to a place where as you'll see that more opportunities will find you versus you looking for those. Yeah. I really liked what you, your second point in that, because I was always the type of person that was looking for some kind of tidbit of information that would end up helping me advance my career. Right. And for me, it was, I was fortunate from the standpoint that I worked for, you know, a family owned business, small developer, you know, we did, one, two, maybe three projects at most, you know, in a year. And, you know, I saw a lot of things from cradle to grave. So it was easy for me to put on those different hats. It was easy for me to ask questions, you know, to, to folks that, you know, knew more about development and finance and, and all those things. And so, and they were patient with me, you know, they understood that they had a, you know, they had a young guy that, understood how to manage a property really well, but had not learned these other things yet. And so I really feel fortunate for that. But I was constantly picking up, you know, student housing business magazine and, you know, any other kind of 
you know, magazine or some type of course I could take to, you know, advance my knowledge. And, and that's one reason I got started with this podcast because I wanted to be able to provide our audience, you know, something that would kind of expand their knowledge beyond whatever position they're currently in. I'm curious, you know, are there some specifics on what you would suggest to, to those audience members that are looking for content, looking for ways of, of getting that, that outside information, I guess is the best way of putting it. I would shamefully plug this podcast first, Uh, (laughs) just because uh, you learn so much about the industry. uh, You learn so much about uh, the different individuals that have made a career out of the industry by listening to the podcast. Uh, I would say go on LinkedIn, really start to research people that you think that are in the job that you want to be in. Uh, Most of the time I get um, LinkedIn messages from people and I respond. Most people respond. And so don't be afraid to reach out to people that you might not know because those folks mainly are looking to help others as well. Uh, They're looking to share their knowledge of how they they got from A to, to like Z with someone else that is truly interested. So I would say educate yourself through as many podcasts and journals as you possibly can and don't be afraid to reach out to people through LinkedIn. I'm so glad you, you said that. Um, you mentioned LinkedIn and, and I'll tell you, I, you know, I'll respond to anybody on, on LinkedIn as long as you're not asking me about, you know, wanting to improve my SEO of my website or you're wanting to edit my podcast or, <laughs> or something like that. Cause I get, I get that all the time. And uh, those are just ones that I just immediately, you know, ignore. But talk to me a little bit about mentoring. You know, who was a good mentor for you? And are you kind of replicating that now with with someone else? Sure. So I I was pretty lucky. Um, I was mentored by Ted Rowlings and Mike Hartnett. Those two are the co-founders of Campus Crest. They were. And so I met them. I was their fifth CN. And I raised my hand and I said, hey, look, I would like to learn more about what happens in terms of how you all raise the money. Who do you talk to to build the properties? And then how do you sell the properties? You know, and they were honestly pretty open to it. And so that's kind of how I got my introduction into uh, learning more about the industry was just asking. Um, And again, Ted Rawlings and Mike, they are essentially kind of the co-founders of Purpose Built in the U.S. if you look at it from a couple of different lenses. And so, again, I was able to kind of like raise my hand and just ask. At Cardinal, I do a lot of mentorship. I talk to a lot of people that work on site that are in maintenance, uh, that are in leasing, or that are just somewhere within our HQ structure. And they're looking to matriculate. They're, they're looking to um, find a way to be their best selves. Uh, but also, they're looking for that next step as well. And I always try to tell them that at the end of the day, it's one thing to say you want growth. But what type of growth are you looking for? Are you able to define your next step? And most of the time, people are not able to do that just yet, right? They want the growth. They want the higher comp, but they haven't put a lot of thought into why, you know? And so, again, I think mentorship is really about helping others find and define their why. Gotcha. So last question, anything on the horizon for Cardinal Group or you personally over the next 12 months that you want to share? 
Sure. So Cardinal is highly focused on optimizing our operating structure, and it's going to include something called centralized operating services. This is essentially a department that will allow our communities to operate their day to day uh, more seamlessly and more efficiently. And I can't really talk a lot about what that's going to look like because we're in the process of developing that. But Scion and Be Home, they have similar departments. Um, And these departments not only will kind of optimize the day to day, but they will be introducing different technology in which we can leverage to be able to uh, service our residents better, but to also really kind of manage kind of the workflow through the office. Right. And so that's the, the biggest thing that we're focusing on at Cardinal. On a personal level, um, I just actually completed a book and the book is called Crash Upward. And in in this book, I'm essentially discussing life journeys of me, of things that I've went through. And I talk about really four important pillars that really greatly assisted me from, you know, being a poor kid from St. Louis to essentially making it to um, a pretty high level in student housing. So it's supposed to come out in December. The name of the book is Crash Upward. So is there a lot of a lot of student housing references to it or is it? Yeah, there's there's definitely some because, I mean, I was I've been in student housing since 2002. And so there's some lessons uh, that definitely occurred in student housing in the book. So absolutely. I'm I'm excited to read that. I was, uh, as you were saying that, I was thinking about Billy Butler over at at Empower, which, you know, I think you were someone that he definitely looked up to while he was coming up at Campus Crest. And it's been amazing to, to see him do what he's doing with his career. But he wrote a book as well, specifically on, on leasing. Um, yeah. For those that uh, want to go look it up on Amazon, it's called Releasing. It was good to hear a lot of his personal journey behind it as well. And uh, so, yeah, looking forward to that, man. When's the, when's the date? Uh, right now, it's December 15th. Uh, okay. But with Amazon, it really depends because once you actually submit it, they say it will be posted within 30 to 60 days. So it could be between December 15th and January 5th. It just depends on when they're able to actually like package it and then like deploy it. So cool. Well, I love the title. What, what was that process like? I mean, yeah, (laughs) yeah, yeah. I mean, it's something that I've always wanted to do and I've always been told that I have a very interesting uh, life and I never thought about it from that standpoint. And so I was challenged to kind of take some of these stories and kind of put it in a book format to kind of share some of my, you know, learning opportunities of how I got to where I am now. Um, It was a very traumatic process to write that book because I essentially had to write it about my personal life. And there's a lot of things that we're talking about now in student housing, which I love is mental health. And we're not, well, we didn't talk about it a lot when I was coming up, but now it's, it's a very open topic that um, people are talking about. And so the book kind of goes through this journey of, of kind of how I became, you know, a individual and how I was able to 
define myself as me and, and not someone else. And it talks about these lessons that are some sometimes funny, but sometimes it's pretty emotional. And so it was a traumatic experience, uh, but it, it had a lot to do with healing. You know, there's a lot of things that happened and then I've never shared, but I'm sharing in this book. So awesome. So what was your inspiration? Um, I would say my kids. I grew up pretty um, humble. And so my kids have a, a, a different experience. And so I wanted to kind of leave uh, them a legacy of kind of how to navigate through life uh, the best way possible. And so that was kind of like part of the inspiration was to leave a legacy for my kids. Uh, the other part is I spent a lot of my time mentoring. And so I get a lot of questions about like, how do I do this? Or what happens when this happens? Or how do I respond? And how do I become emotionally intelligent? How can I become objective? And so all of these different pillars uh, I teach folks on a day to day. And so it was like, oh, wow, if I could take all of these different lessons and merge them with stories, then maybe I could reach a larger audience of, of how to kind of navigate obstacles in life. Well, I'm looking forward to that. I, I, I wasn't even aware of it. So that's so cool. That's, that's breaking news. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Well, Sly, I appreciate it so much. Um, thanks for the time. Thanks for sharing the personal side as well as the business side. And if someone wants to reach out to you, you know, either say thanks for, for sharing or, hey, I've got some questions. What's the best way for them to reach out to you? Uh, you can look me up on LinkedIn, Sylvester Brandon is my name. I have LinkedIn on my phone. So if you do message me, I definitely will receive it. So. Fantastic. Sly, I appreciate it so much. Cool. Thanks so much, Wes. We'll talk soon. All right. Again, a big thanks to Sly for spending the time to share his story. I can't wait to read his book. I hope you guys will all go out to Amazon and buy it and support him with that. I think that is fantastic. Well, look, I've got one more announcement before I go. December's Shop Talk. And if you haven't heard about Shop Talk, I know I referenced in the in the intro about it. If you heard that and you were like, Wes, what's Shop Talk? Shop Talk is a monthly webinar that we host on behalf of the industry. And I say we do it on behalf of the industry because it's not anything that we charge money for. It's not anything that we get sponsored. It is led by a leadership committee of student housing executives. Slaw Brandon is one of those. Uh, we also have Julie Bonin from Asset Living. We also have Jennifer Frazier from Graystar, uh, Casey Peterson. Um, I know there's a couple more, but uh, I'll, I'll leave that for the next episode to talk about. But anyway, in Shop Talk, we discuss how everyone is performing with pre-leasing across the country. We talk with folks at NMHC about legislation and policies that are impacting student housing. We also have a hot topic every month. And for December, we will be talking about lessons learned from TURN. So I'm excited to dive into that. That will be on Thursday, December 15th at 1 p.m. Eastern. You can go register for Shop Talk at shoptalk.info, and we will also put a link in the show notes. Well, guys, thanks so much for listening and supporting what we're doing. Please share this podcast with your colleagues. 
nothing means more to me than than you referring this podcast and referring our platform to to the colleagues in this industry. I really appreciate that. Take care, everyone.